Welcome to the Expert Series, brought to you by the Lupus Foundation of America. Our health education team is here to bring you experts in lupus to discuss topics to help you live better. Thank you for tuning in to today's episode. My name is Melissa, and I'll be your host. I am very excited to welcome Dr. Jane Salmon, a Colette Keene Research Professor and Director of the Lupus and Antiphospholipid Center of Excellence at the Hospital for Special Surgery. Dr. Salmon will explain antiphospholipid syndrome, or APS, and how it affects people with lupus. Dr. Salmon is also a professor of medicine and associate dean of faculty affairs at Weill Cornell College of Medicine. Her research has created a greater understanding of pregnancy complications in women with lupus and APS. We are delighted to have you join us today, Dr. Salmon. Thank you. Thank you for inviting me. I look forward to teaching you a lot and being helpful. Oh, that's great. Thank you so much. Um, so throughout this episode, I think that I'm going to say APS instead of antiphospholipid okay. syndrome because um, that is yeah. a mouthful and I will stumble over it every time. So I'm going to stick with APS. Um, so okay. let's start with the basics. What is APS and how is it related to lupus? So APS is a syndrome that's characterized by the presence of a certain class of antibodies, and I'll tell you what an antibody is in a, a moment. It's an autoimmune disease. It occurs most frequently in women, and it has certain clinical features. So you need the antibodies, which are proteins that recognize antiphospholipids in your body. And you need the clinical manifestations, which are pregnancy complications or clotting of blood. And what seems to be happening in this syndrome is these antibodies, autoantibodies reacting against self components, affect blood clotting, affect the health of the blood vessels, and affect the cells that cause blood to clot. So Blood clots when you have an injury, that's a good thing, you don't want to lose blood, but blood shouldn't clot normally if it's supposed to be just flowing and there is no traumatic injury. So patients with antiphospholipid syndrome make these antibodies, and the reason why I'm talking to you about it in the context of lupus is that somewhere between 20 and 40% of lupus patients may have these antibodies. So it's important for a lupus patient to understand what the antibodies do and whether or not they have these antibodies. Okay, great. So I want to ask something really fundamental, and forgive me if this is too simple, but I was wondering it while you were listening. Why is it bad for blood to clot when in the absence of an injury, right? What happens when blood clots when it shouldn't? So blood actually has substances circulating that prevent it from clotting, and it has substances circulating that trigger a clot in the context of an injury. And blood vessels are supposed to be like Teflon, really smooth, the cells pass through them, they shouldn't be sticky. But when the patient has a viral syndrome, maybe, or has a surgical stress, or has 
something often that we don't even understand, they may get their blood vessels to be sticky or their platelets, which are cells important for clotting, to clot. So what happens when this occurs is that the platelets and the cells in the blood, instead of flowing smoothly, they form an aggregate. And the aggregate will stick to the blood vessel. And the blood vessel, instead of acting like a tube, will have blocked flow. Like when your sink gets clogged, your blood vessel will get clogged. And these uh. antiphospholipid antibodies trigger this kind of a clotting situation. Okay, I see. So that's not very always, serious. Not always. It, it can be okay. serious. If it's a tiny blood vessel, it's not so serious. If it's a big blood vessel, it's more serious. If it's a blood vessel in your foot, it's less serious than a blood vessel in your brain or in your lung. Um, and what's important to recognize is there are people who have these circulating antibodies for their whole lives and will never have a clot. And there are others who will have clots. So just because you have the antibodies, it gives you a higher risk for clotting, but it doesn't mean it's going to happen. Okay. So I remember you said 20 to 40% of people with lupus have the antibodies. Is that right? Was I remembering that correctly? Yes, depending upon how you measure them. And, and we can talk a little bit about what the antibodies are and how we measure them. And that'll become clear as to why that window between 20 and 40 is such a big window. Such a big window. But, but just having the antibodies doesn't cause you to develop APS. So, so how common is it then for people with lupus to develop APS? Um, that number isn't entirely clear. Maybe a quarter or half the people who have the antibodies will develop APS. So APS is the clinical manifestation plus the antibodies. So the clinical manifestation would be a blood clot in your vein, which would be like phlebitis, painful swollen legs. In less common situations, it could be a blood clot in your central nervous system. That would be like a stroke. You could have a blood clot in the blood vessels in your eye and have visual loss. It can be associated with a blood clot in your heart and have a heart attack. And those would, the visual loss and then the heart attack would be um, in your arteries as opposed to your veins. And other than clotting, the important second class of symptoms, so one class is clotting, the other is pregnancy complications. And that, I think, may be even more common because women have lupus and women get pregnant. So the presence of these antibodies in a woman with lupus makes us worry about how her pregnancy will turn out. Will she have a higher risk of miscarriage, which is seen? Will she have preeclampsia? Will she have a placenta that doesn't develop so well so the baby doesn't grow so well? There are a whole range of pregnancy complications. And then I want to not worry you and say that the vast, vast majority of women with lupus have totally normal pregnancies. 80, 90%. So even in the presence of antiphospholipid antibodies, depending upon which ones you have, you can do fine and there are treatments. That's great to know. That's reassuring. We get a lot of questions 
um, from from women. Um, you know, most as you just said, most people who have lupus are women, um, and we get a lot of questions from women who worry about um, you know whether they would be able to have a healthy pregnancy. And so I, what I'm hearing you say is that the, their chances are good um, to have a healthy pregnancy. Very good. Good. But APS is certainly something that if you have a woman with lupus in your practice and she becomes pregnant, um, APS is certainly something that, that you look out for for her. Yes, and we often ask patients, we, all, we ask all lupus patients or newly diagnosed patients, have you ever been pregnant? Have you had pregnancy complications? Because sometimes patients might have these pregnancy complications before they're diagnosed with lupus. And it's not known that it's a consequence of APS. I see. So it's very important to take a detailed pregnancy history. When you see a patient who may, who you're evaluating for the possibility of lupus, and once you make a diagnosis of lupus, you will want to know their pregnancy history to think about their subsequent pregnancy risk as well as maybe they have antiphospholipid syndrome. Most patients who are newly diagnosed with anti, with, with lupus, um, should have antiphospholipid antibodies measured. So do you find that people who have APS, that that can be a route to a lupus diagnosis when people develop APS, um, not knowing that they have lupus and that's how they get diagnosed? It certainly can occur, but it's very important to note that there are many people who have antiphospholipid antibodies who don't have lupus. You know, often men will have blood clots or pulmonary emboli, which means a clot that formed in your leg moved up to your lung, and that can be life-threatening. If they have no other risk factors for clotting, no blood abnormalities, we say, could they have antiphospholipid antibodies? We measure them. So these people typically will not go on to have lupus, the some do. So you can have blood clots, pregnancy complications, antiphospholipid antibodies without lupus. And obviously, okay. you can have lupus without antiphospholipid syndrome, without antiphospholipid antibodies. Okay. So that's interesting. And so just to to clarify, because I, I think that you've said it throughout the rest of this answer, but I want to ask specifically, how is APS diagnosed? Through blood tests and a history um, or through, you know, is it is it a more complicated process than that? How do you um, no, it's discover very, that someone has APS? It's, so so it, it, it's quite straightforward, but I must tell you, often patients don't get diagnosed for quite a while. So when a patient has an unexpected blood clot or pregnancy complications like toxemia, preeclampsia, or recurrent losses, early fetal losses before 10 weeks, or if you have a pregnancy loss, a stillbirth at 24 weeks, those are all things we think about in antiphospholipid patients. So if you have any of those things, a premature stroke in a young woman, women don't have stroke typically. So you then, your doctor will say, could this be a consequence of antiphospholipid syndrome? So your doctor will order a blood test. So what are the blood tests? There are three blood tests that we use typically to define antiphospholipid antibodies, and one has to have a positive of one of those three. 
One is called anti-cardiolipin antibody, and it's a test that measures how much of an antibody you have that recognizes something called cardiolipin. Another one is called anti-beta-2 GP1. You don't need to know the name, but it measures how much of an antibody do you have that measures this beta-2 GP1, which is a molecule that can be on blood vessels and placenta that the antibody binds to and causes inflammation and clotting. And the other one is a test called lupus anticoagulant. So it doesn't measure an antibody, but it puts blood in a test tube, platelets, it puts your serum, your, your proteins in your blood in with platelets and other things and looks at whether or not there's clotting. And it's called lupus anticoagulant which is completely the opposite of what happens clinically. So in the test tube in the lab, the antibody prevents clotting because it binds to some of the things in the test tube that are needed for clotting. That same antibody in a person promotes clotting. So it's not an anticoagulant. So the name is really confusing, and it confuses everybody. It's really confusing. But, and it isn't even necessarily associated with lupus. There are people who have a lupus anticoagulant who don't have lupus, which I told you earlier, you don't have to have both. So it's just a funny name for a test, but the test is probably the most important one to predict risk for both clotting or pregnancy complications. So if you have a lupus anticoagulant, that's the most risky antibody. And the level, of the other two, if it's really high, it increases your risk. If it's low, moderate, borderline, then it's probably not terribly important clinically. And if you have all three of them, you have a higher risk than if you have one or two. Okay, so let me go back just a little bit. So if you have lupus anticoagulant, that doesn't necessarily mean you have lupus, but does it work the right. other way, if you have lupus, do you have automatically have lupus anticoagulant or no? No, no. The, the name is a wrong okay. name. Lupus anticoagulant okay. is just the name. It's just a name of one of the three blood tests we use to define the presence of antiphospholipid antibodies. And then if you have clinical manifestations, we call it antiphospholipid syndrome. Okay. That is confusing um, to have both lupus and lupus anticoagulant, but I think thank you very much for clarifying that because I know that's another um, that's another one that we get a lot of questions from from both people who have lupus and people who don't have lupus or have not been diagnosed with lupus about what lupus anticoagulant means. What does that mean when a doctor says that? It's a very unfortunate, awkward name that was it stuck to the lab test because historically they found it in lupus patients, but that was ages ago before they knew what antiphospholipid syndrome was, and they named it wrong because it causes clotting. Okay, so thank you. It, I appreciate that clarification. Um, so let's talk about treatment. So once you've been diagnosed, once a person has been diagnosed with APS, how is it treated? If you've had a clot in an artery or a vein, if it's a minor clot, like phlebitis in your leg that didn't migrate up and didn't hurt a major organ, you get treated with blood thinners, warfarin, 
for some period of time, a number of weeks or months, if you've had a serious life-threatening blood clot, a stroke or a pulmonary embolus, which is a clot that migrates into your lung, um, then you might be treated with the blood thinner with warfarin for life or for at least many years till you and your doctors are comfortable discussing tapering. We don't know when to stop the drug. We don't know when, I mean, as I said, there are people who have antiphospholipid antibodies circulating for years and years and don't have a clot, and then all of a sudden they'll have one. And we don't know how to predict when another clot will occur. We think that viral syndromes, surgical stress, injuries, other traumas can provoke the clots, but we don't know for sure. So if there's been a life-threatening clot in an artery, um, patients are anticoagulated warfarin for a very long time. The um, new anticoagulants, there are a whole range of them that are used for atrial fibrillation and other problems that are associated with clotting. They don't seem to work in antiphospholipid syndrome. So though patients prefer them because you don't need the blood test that you do with warfarin, um, they just don't seem to work as well. Warfarin cannot be used in a pregnant person. So if you've had obstetric APS, so you've had preeclampsia before, or you've had a blood mm -hmm. clot before, you can't be on warfarin during pregnancy. It's teratogenic. So those patients, before they become pregnant or as soon as they know they're pregnant, get switched to an injectable anticoagulant um, called heparin usually low molecular weight heparin, and they give themselves tiny little injections um, one or two times a day through their pregnancy and for about two months after their pregnancy because postpartum, you're, it's a time when your hormones are really high and high estrogens can cause a clot. So people with antiphospholipid antibodies often get treated with the syndrome with heparin postpartum. And one more treatment point, lupus patients, even without antiphospholipid antibodies, are often treated with baby aspirin through pregnancy because they're at higher risk for preeclampsia, and aspirin is a treatment thought to prevent preeclampsia. Women with APL antibodies who don't have the syndrome, who've never had a clot, who've never had a pregnancy problem, also get treated, should be treated with aspirin through their pregnancy. There's no evidence that if they haven't had a clot or a pregnancy complication, that they need the heparin treatment too. Okay. So the aspirin is, is a preventive, but there's no need for the heparin yes. as a preventive. Okay. If they haven't had an event that makes you think they have the syndrome. Okay, that's good to know. Um, so, so what is it like to take warfarin or heparin? Are there side effects? Well, warfarin, well, both of them, the, the concern is could you have hemorrhages? And that's why with warfarin, you have to have a blood test to check the level and make sure your blood isn't too anticoagulated. And often patients need a blood test every month, which is kind of annoying. And they have to modulate the dose because um, eating too many green leafy vegetables inhibits the effect of, uh, of warfarin. So if your diet changes seasonally, your dose of warfarin may change seasonally depending upon which vegetables you like. Um, the, the risk of... Um, 
of heparin besides the bleeding risk, we give it at low doses and we don't need the blood test to monitor it, is um, chronically it may be associated with a little bit of osteoporosis, but if you take it just during pregnancy, um, it's fine. We just have to make okay. sure that it's stopped before your delivery because you don't want to have heparin on board while you're delivering because that can be associated with hemorrhage. But doctors, obstetricians handle that very well. And the half-life of heparin is quite short. So a few hours after, that's why you have to sometimes take it twice a day depending upon your risk. Okay. And a half-life is how quickly it is out of your body? Yes, yes. So, I mean, it's if you've had a blood clot before and you're pregnant, so we're worried you're really at high risk, those patients get full-dose heparin, so they have to inject themselves twice a day. If you've just had pregnancy complications and no blood clot, we use what's called low-dose, low-molecular weight heparin, mm-hmm. so it's only once a day. Okay. And that is, it's an injection. So people have to give themselves a shot. It's an injection, but it's a tiny little, it's like Mm -hmm. insulin. It's a tiny little injection. Uh, Okay. So it's not deep. That's a little less scary. Um, So people don't like, but again, do it, but it's just for the nine months plus six weeks or two months afterwards. Sure. Yeah. And of course it's totally worth it to have a healthy pregnancy um, or to increase your chances of having a healthy pregnancy. Right. Right. Um, and, and again, most people, most people with lupus who are pregnant will not develop APS and have to do this, right? So Absolutely um, not. You know, yeah. If you've had normal pregnancies before, if you don't have the antibody, you take a baby aspirin and you have an you know, 85 plus chance of having a completely uncomplicated pregnancy. The risk factors in a lupus patient for serious pregnancy complications are the presence of a lupus anticoagulant blood test, the presence of a history of APS, either thrombotic or obstetric, higher blood pressure, which needs to be controlled during pregnancy, and kidney disease, active kidney disease. If you've had kidney disease in the past and it's in remission and you don't have proteinuria, protein in your urine, you don't have high blood pressure, then your risk goes back down. But you shouldn't get pregnant while your lupus kidney disease or any part of your lupus is active. Quiescent disease for a number of weeks, we like it, we'd rather say a few months, um, is really important before contemplating pregnancy. And that's kind of why you need a dialogue, I think, between your rheumatologist and your obstetrician and yourself to discuss the timing of pregnancy. All that I've told you, about 85 plus percent of pregnancies and lupus patients being uncomplicated presumes that they conceive while their disease is quiescent. They don't have active renal disease in particular. They're on low doses of steroids and they're on the right kind of medicine you should be on when you're contemplating a pregnancy that are safe for pregnancy and there are many. Okay. I think that I, I think that's really good to know. So thank you for really spelling that out explicitly that people with lupus if you're planning to get pregnant, you need to talk about it with your doctor before you get pregnant. And it's also really important to look after your reproductive health and to know your birth control options and uh, you know, to, to have a plan. And what you're saying raises um, a very 
interesting and important question. And that is, if you have antiphospholipid antibodies, how do you not encourage them to cause blood clots? And one of the risk factors for clotting for even non-lupus patients is birth control pills. High levels of estrogen increase slightly, very slightly, but increase the risk of a blood clot. So a woman who has antiphospholipid antibodies, even without any manifestations, should not take birth control pills. They can get their IUDs, there are all sorts of other approaches, but they should not take estrogen-containing birth control pills because that can cause a clot. All right. That's very good to know. Thank you for that information. Um, so I think that that leads us into the next question. Um, and my last question, which is how can someone with lupus prevent blood clots, right? What, what can we do um, to prevent developing blood clots? As I said, not take birth control pills. Smoking increases blood clots in everybody. So if you have antiphospholipid antibodies, well, people shouldn't smoke anyway, but it makes it even a more important thing not to do. To make sure your blood pressure is okay, because patients with high blood pressure have more clots, more strokes. To make sure your cardiac health is good, your lipids are good, your weight is good, because people who are obese have more blood clots, whether that's related to blood flow or sedentary life. Um, also, Patients with antiphospholipid antibodies, because they may be more prone to blood clots, if you go on an airplane or you're immobilized or you have a surgical treatment, you should take a baby aspirin, not for surgery, but for airplanes, or maybe low-dose heparin your doctor may recommend around the time of a um, post-op if you're lying in bed for a long time after a surgery. Um, you want to monitor your renal health. Patients with proteinuria, they lose some of the anticoagulating proteins that we normally have in our blood to keep our blood fluid and not clotting. So if you have renal problems and antiphospholipid antibodies, your likelihood um, of clotting also increases. So it's really general kidney, heart, vascular health, living as healthy as possible and avoiding triggers like birth control pills and, and, and tobacco and, again, long airplane rides or pregnancy, which are associated with clotting in anybody else, you want to maybe take a baby aspirin during those periods of time. So that's great. Thank you. That is really helpful. Um, and thank you so much for joining us today. And um, this has been really informative. I've learned a lot. I hope that our listeners will also learn a lot. So thank you for your time today and this great discussion of APS. Um, for those listening in, you can find out more information on lupus and APS on the National Resource Center on Lupus by visiting lupus.org forward slash resources. For the latest information on lupus and COVID-19, please visit lupus.org forward slash coronavirus. To listen to additional episodes of the expert series, you can visit lupus.org forward slash the expert series where you can also subscribe to get alerts when podcasts are released. If you would like to speak with one of our health education specialists, you can go to lupus.org forward slash health educator or call 1-800-558-0121. And finally, to connect with others with lupus from all over the world, 
I invite you to check out our online support community, Lupus Connect, where you can talk with others, find emotional support, and discuss practical insights for coping with the daily challenges of lupus. You can find the community at lupus.org forward slash resources forward slash Lupus Connect. So I want to thank you again, Dr. Salmon, for joining us. And I want to thank all of our listeners for also joining us for this episode of the Expert Series. And from all of us at the Lupus Foundation of America, have a wonderful day. Thank you.